listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. pray with me. And as we pray, I'm going to pray for the dads, um, for the grandfathers, for um, those this year. Father's Day is tough for some of y'all. I understand that. You lost your dad recently. Maybe you lost your dad years ago. Maybe you never knew your dad. Um, And so we just want to pray for us where we're at and pray for our dads that we would love well and lead well in a a culture that fathers are absent and uh, are abandoning their jobs is that also as we started a couple weeks ago we're we're praying for different churches in this in this city um and kind of working alphabetically kind of we did a c last time we're going to a b not that we we just forgot the b so that's what we're doing but we're gonna play for bull street baptist today um my buddy calvin fowler great name calvin and fowler um he's just too great i mean it can't be that right but he's the pastor and we're gonna pray for their church their leadership um the people there it's a church that's been around for a while, and he's doing a great work down there, and a great brother. We've partnered with them with our one voice. Uh, we know we know their staff well. We know a lot of the people are, are, are friends and interact with each other. So we're going to pray for them this morning and our time in the Word. So why don't you bow with me, and we pray. Father, I, we just we take for granted sometimes those words that we can call you Father, and we can do so because Christ died for our sins, and he reconciled us to you. And so we, we approach not with proudness or with... Uh, arrogance, but we do with confidence because of what Christ has done and his finished work on the cross and the resurrection. Uh, we pray for the dads in this church uh, that we would love well and lead well and serve well and shepherd well. For the future dads, um, Lord, that they would see godly men who are doing well and follow after their example, Lord. Pray for those, Lord, that have lost a dad, and this is hard, recently, maybe a long time ago maybe never knew a dad, that, that they would find comfort in you, the Heavenly Father, who is the Father to the fatherless, who is the hope to the hopeless. Uh, we know uh, that we can approach you in that way and that you care for us. And so we thank you for that. We pray for uh, Bull Street Baptist this morning and our friends there who are right now, as we are worshiping and preaching the word and, and proclaiming who you are, pray for Calvin and the leadership team over there, that they would shepherd well, that they would lead well, that they would disciple well. And that that body would flourish and grow and be blessed and see life change and see conversion and see the kingdom enhanced for the name of Christ. That we could together proclaim because we were for all eternity be together proclaiming. And so we do so now joyfully uh, with our brothers and sisters over there. I pray for our time in your word that you would just show me grace once again. That all the little things would work, the mic this, this time the screen so that people can follow along, um, that there would be little distraction. Lord, that your spirit would fill me and empower a broken vessel, an empty jar of clay that is smashed. But Lord, that you would fill it and that you would fix it and that you would make me a vessel of honor by your spirit that brings glory to your son. May your church have ears to hear. May they be encouraged and challenged and pressed towards good works because of who you are and who we are in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
Thanks. You guys have a seat. Go ahead for the last time and turn, not hopefully ever, but at least as we, uh, as we are doing this series, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We began a journey five months ago working through this, this great epistle. And we, we titled our series Identity because really Paul highlights who we are in Christ. And the first three chapters kind of hammer it. And we started this whole series by reminding ourselves we are in one of two places. We are either on Team Adam or we are on Team Christ. And in Team Adam, the, the perennial loser is Owen Infinity. If you are in Team Adam, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are an object of God's wrath. You are separated. You are alienated. You have no hope. But on Team Christ, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You have been adopted. You have been chosen. You have been forgiven. You have been reconciled. You are one of His children now. And He has made you the temple of Himself. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. And it's, I was thinking about it this week as in preparation, how man always wants to build big temples and big tabernacles and big buildings with stained glass and all these things, and that's fine. I've been to many of the beautiful cathedrals in Europe. But isn't it interesting that God says, I do not dwell in temples made with human hands. That is not in my sight beautiful. That is in my sight not just this glorious thing. But let me tell you what it is. One little boy, one little girl, one man, one woman made in my image who is born again. Who has by grace through faith been saved. Now that is my temple. That is where I choose to dwell and as the body, we saw in chapter 3, it is the high calling for us, the church, to make known the manifold wisdom of God to all creation. That God has chosen the church, those who were alienated, those who were His enemies, those who were separated, now to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to show the world what it means to be in Christ. And so chapters three, 4 through 6 have unpacked and we looked at all these things, how we walk man, in a manner worthy of our calling. That word that means to balance out the scales. And the number one thing he says is you're going to do it in unity. And then you're going to use your gifts because we're all called to ministry and there's newness of life and there's guarding our mouth and guarding our hearts and guarding our purity and there's imitating our dad and in the home, husbands and wives functioning in light of the gospel, kids honoring their parents at work as employers in all those contexts, walking worthy. And last week as William unpacked, standing firm in the battle and the strength which God has given with the armor, ultimately in the power of the gospel. That's who we are. Hopefully that sounds familiar. That's our last five months. If not, then, then maybe we haven't done a great job or maybe you need to go and listen to the MP3s. But that's where we've been. And today, Paul is going to finalize this letter. He's going to lick the stamp. He's going to close the envelope. And he's going to send this letter off. But before he does, he says a couple things. And I know a lot of times we like to skip the end. Right? But we don't skip the end here. Because all Scripture is inspired. And even though it's the grace and peace part, I get that. There's some truth there that, that God wants us to grasp today. In fact, as he closes this little letter, he's going to give three purposes. Three kind of purposes in these last four verses for us to grasp as we close this book out. So hopefully that there's some lasting impact. Right? And these are really, honestly, my favorite part of the letter is often the end. Because that's where you get those personal little nuggets of truth. 
And all scripture is breathed out by God, even the greeting, even the ending. And so God wants us to see it today. So let's read it and then we'll come back and unpack it. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Three purposes that he has mentioned in this text. Three of them. Right, did you catch them? All right, I'm not going to tell you what they are because some of you are note-taking fiends and you'll write them in and then you won't listen to anything else. So we're going to have to work through the text to find out. Okay? But three things here, and I'm going to follow the order of the text. I was going to skip around a little bit, but the words of my first seminary professor for homiletics, Dr. Oscar Lopez, I called him Olo for short. He said, Bill, follow the structure of the text. And so this one is in light of my instruction from Olo. Right? Let's follow the order of the text. He starts out in verse 21. First word, so that. Right? In the Greek, that's, that's how the ESV translates it right over. Some of your translations smooth it out. But the first word in the Greek text is so that, in order that. Here's why I'm writing. That you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Again, that you may know how... We are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So he says, I want you to know how I am. I want you to know how we are. If you read Philippians and Colossians, you'll realize that there's a bunch of other folks with Paul that are kind of hanging out with him in, in jail. You got a guy named Luke. He wrote a gospel. You got a guy named Mark. He wrote a gospel. You got a guy named Epaphras. Right? You got a guy named Jesus, and he changes his name to Justice. You can only imagine why. It would be a hard name to have in those days. Right? There's another guy named Demas that's hanging out with him, right? And he'll find out at the end of his life, he, he blows off Paul and leaves the faith. And then you got a guy named Tychicus. And he's going to send Tychicus to do what? First thing, to inform. He's going to inform them how he is, what's going on. Right? I want you to know what's going on, so I'm going to send this guy Tychicus. And what most scholars think is Tychicus is probably his, his amanuensis, or his scribe. Remember, Paul's chained up. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. So it's probably not easy for him to write. So most of his letters, he has a scribe. So he'll dictate, write this down, and to Ephesus, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so if someone is writing it, and most scholars think that this is the guy that's writing it. His name means Lucky. Very interesting name for the guy who's going to write about God's sovereignty in choosing men and women for his own, right? Lucky gets to write about God's sovereignty and predestination. I don't think God, that's a sense of humor from God there. Uh, but here's this guy, and he sends Lucky to let them know what is going on, right? To inform them. And so what I want to do this morning, briefly, is to do the same. I want to inform y'all. How are we doing? What's going on? What's going on at CBC? We've been asking you to pray. We've been telling you what we've, we've got some things going on or we're praying about some things. So I just want to give you an update on us, update on this body, on your church, who many of you are part of. And so let me tell you, let's talk about me. Still 5'6", praying for 5'7". Right now we're, we're, we're hopeful, right? No. The staff is doing great right now. You saw Ethan is here leading the middle school, high school, and doing some worship as he... Got to lead this morning. In three weeks, 
Gary Kipe will be coming on staff. If you were here last week, you saw Gary. If you were like, who's that redheaded Marine-looking dude on stage? That was our redheaded Marine dude, okay? He is off right now in Hawaii uh, for his, not vacation, but he is doing his uh, Marine Corps drill. He's a reservist officer, so he has his two weeks that he needs to do. He will be coming in the first week of July. He will show up, and he will preach his first Sunday here. Right? We don't play. We just throw him to the fire. So he will be preaching. So if you're here in a few weeks, Gary will be preaching uh, on July 7th. And so we're excited about him. He's going to come up and lead the small groups. He's going to do training for the leaders there. That's his passion. He's going to do a great job with that. So we're excited about that. So the staff will be finally whole. Um, a lot going on as far as planning this summer. We kind of shut down classes and stuff in the summer, but that doesn't mean we are down. We have two missions trips going on. We're sending 50-something people to Allendale at the end of, Ju- at the end of June. Middle schoolers and high schoolers are going to go minister to folks up there, do some stuff in the community, and reach out to that as they did last year. So that's going on. At the end of July, we have a team going to Nicaragua to a new village. It's kind of our first time at this little, this little village, and hopefully we'll be spending the next couple of years building into that community there, teaching leaders, training leaders, and helping them in other ways. And so that's the end of July. That's going on. Financially as a church, you know, not to get into great detail, we are healthy right now. We are in the black. Um, we've increased giving. We've increased saving. Um, we have no debt. Everything you see, God has given us. We are stewards of what we own. So there's not money going out to anything else. We've been very gracious in that way. Uh, and so it, it's, been, it's a good place to be right now financially uh, for the church. Not rolling in it, but we're meeting our obligations and we're able to be generous to other people. And so we're excited about that. Um, we've been praying about some direction. Obviously, there's space challenges. I mean, you see that. This is the summer when typically we're down. All right. Uh, we have like 100 college kids that are not here right now. I don't know where they're going to sit when they get back, but, um, but they're gone. And, and so we have space challenges. We prayed about buying the property to our immediate, for y'all's left, our right, all the way to the doctor's office. Uh, they are unwilling to sell it at this time, so that's just not got to close that door. We were meeting with a church to potentially use their facility on Sunday mornings. It seated eight, 900 folks. Had plenty of classroom spaces. They were a church that's kind of on a decline. Don't have a pastor. But they're at this point not in a place where they're ready to do anything. We've met at least three, maybe four times with them. It's just not seeming that God is leading in that direction. We've prayed. We've seeked. We've knocked. And so we're saying, okay, God, that's not where you're doing. And we, I was reading the book of Acts this week, and this kind of closed the deal for me, where Paul is trying to go over here, and he says the Spirit of Christ would not let him. Boom. And then his next verse, and, he, and Paul wanted to go over here. And the Spirit of Christ would not allow them. And so my thought is that we try to do that. The Spirit of Christ said no. Boom, we try to do this. The Spirit of Christ said no. And so we're saying, good. God has given direction. Answered prayer is what we want. Whether it's yes or no, we are thankful. So now we have some direction. So now we're going to move forward and do what the next thing is. And so we as a church are just trying to seek what God wants. When the cloud moves, we move. When the cloud stays, we stay. And that's just the way it is. All right? And sometimes that's frustrating. But... That's what God has done. It's not because we haven't sought. It's not because we haven't been working. It's not because we haven't been praying. If that's what God wants, that's what we're going to do. And so the challenge is this. What do we do with this current place right now? Because with three services, we can see if every green chair is filled, 900 people. When everyone's here, we'll be about 850. So that leaves about 12 seats per service. That's just not enough. All right. So that's obvious. So what do we do? Short-term fix number one. Someplace in this building, we're going to have an overflow room. We don't know where yet, but God will show that very soon. We have some architects working on it, and some people look. We need an, we need an overflow room that is quality, that people can see what's going on, 
that um, we're going to get a new camera, we're getting a new video mixer, we're getting all these things so it's not sitting there with a coffee bar and kids running around. It's a nice place with good sound, and it's quiet, and it's shut in so there's no distractions. That's, that's short-term fix number one. All right. Short-term fix number two for the other issue here is we have a children, not problem, we have a children influx. Y'all keep having kids, and we keep trying to put them someplace. All right. Okay. And that's a good problem. Right. And so what's going to happen is this. We are in the fall when we launch back up and classes pick back up. We are going to use every space that we can in this building for kids because we can no longer put 67 kids in a closet and call that a class. We just can't do it anymore. The teachers are like, we can't do this anymore. And the law says we can't do it and we don't want to be disobedient to the law. We want to be safe. And so we are going to use every room in this building for children. We just have to. We have to split K-1 class. you got 30 kids, in a, I mean, and you just cannot do it feasibly. It's just not healthy. It's not safe. So we're going to do that, which means there's no room for adult classes. So make up for the adult class absence. Probably next spring, we're going to let Gary get his feet under him. We're going to start some sort of an institute where we're, we're teaching theological classes. We're teaching topical things, marriage class, at different times during the week, at different maybe Sunday evening, an institute-type thing, an eight-week class on this. So some of you will get some opportunities to teach if that's your gift. But it'll be if this is an area that you want to go. But in the fall, everything in this building is going to be out back there. It will be children and overflow. Okay? Parking, you say, is a third issue. That's so far down in our prayer right now. We're like, parking. Oh, parking. Take the bus. That's fine, you know? <laughs> but that's, what, that's kind of short term. Long term, we are talking about is it potential we can do something behind us? We have, again, some architects and some builders and some surveyors. and They're doing their work. In the meantime, we're looking. We got other things going on, and we're always looking. We're always praying. We, our desire is to plant a church. And in fact, truth be told, we were going to plant this fall. That was the original goal: was to plant this fall, and Peter was going to plant. But Peter kept going up 95 all the way to Connecticut, so he missed Pooler, and he kept going all the way to Connecticut. So God changed that direction, which is fine. Again, we want what God wants. But that was the original plan. Our goal is still to plant within the next two years, to send 50, 100 folks and plant CBC West or whatever we want to call it, whatever that is. So that's long-term goal, potential behind us to build something that won't put us major debt, something we could pay off in a couple years. We can put 50% or more down on and then just kind of slowly get that thing done. Those are potential long-term maybe fixes, but that's for right now what we got in the fall. So when you start seeing walls coming down and paint, kind of that's that's what's going on as far as structurally here okay um that's that's where we're going but another thing is this in the text and this is what we kind of i love tychicus and how he is a model here for us go back again to verse 21 he says so you may know how i am and what i'm doing tychicus and he says two things about him here that are i think are important that we don't need to blow off number one that he is the beloved brother and the article is there in the original text all right he's not just you know putting out there he is the beloved brother he is the guy everyone loves right you got all these people that are hanging out with paul while he's in prison and, and, and he says this is my guy everybody loves this guy he's beloved he is known he's not the cold aloof grumpy dude that everyone's like we gotta send someone who do we want to get rid of Tychicus, get rid of Tychicus. we hate him no this is the guy everyone loves this is this is a known guy and he is known and he is knowing others he is in relationship so that he is that beloved brother don't miss the words there and what's going to have to happen is we continue to do what we're doing here 
And what does God call us to do? It is our job to equip followers of Christ. What are we going to do in the fall? I know I don't know what the overflow and all that's going to I am going to, every Sunday morning, open the book of the Bible and I am going to preach. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to continue to put you and encourage you to go into places of biblical community where you can be known and know other people and the body can function. We don't know a lot of the big picture things, but we know that. We're not, that doesn't change. Our philosophy on preaching the word, putting you in places of community doesn't change. But what's going to have to happen is some of you who are kind of on the fringe that no one really knows and you don't really know anybody, you're going to have to step forward a little bit and be known. In the small group ministry, we're starting at least five, six new groups in the fall. So there's new places there to jump into. We're trying to train leaders as fast as we can because we want to put you in a place where you can start to know people and serve people. And that scares some of you because you're like, I don't want them to know all about all these issues I have. But let me tell you, that's gospel-centered community. When you, The closer you get to people, the more you're going to see how broken they are. And when you can love them through that because of the gospel, that is where life change takes place. It doesn't take place just from you pretending that everything's good and going and singing a song. It's when you are in community, in the Bible, with other people, and you're doing life together. There's one another's of the scripture. And so that's what we need. We need people who are going to be known and know others. And you're not going to know 800, 900 people. You cannot. But you can know 20. And you can be in the body with them. And you can love on them and use your gifts in that relationship. And that's what we're going to have to be. Beloved brothers and sisters. But also, he says, he's a faithful minister. And that word minister, it sounds so fancy. Throw a collar and a robe on him. But it's just the word for servant. Diakonos. Right? He's a faithful servant. Here's the guy, he, he does it. He's loyal. And most of you maybe never heard of Tychicus before. You're not going to see the book of Tychicus. But what you're going to see is a guy, if you kind of do your research, get your concordance out, and the third missionary journey, Tychicus is there. At the end of Paul's life, when he's about to be killed, Tychicus is there. And when he's in prison here, Tychicus is there. He's just a faithful, loyal dude. Lucky is just a faithful dude. That's what he is. He serves well. How faithful is he? He gets to carry four books of the Bible. That's how faithful. How do you like that pressure? You got Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon in your suitcase. If you pour some water on one of them, oops, I just lost Ephesians. Right? How faithful is this guy that God entrusts him the scriptures? He gets to carry them. Potentially even be the penning of the original copy of Ephesians. That's huge because he's faithful. And we got a ton of ticket kisses here. I mean, we got some of y'all rock. You're so faithful and you serve well. And what we need is just more rocking. Because in the fall, what's going to happen is this. We're moving to a model where we're, we're trying to break the mentality of consumeristic serve me Christianity, which is in the Church of America. We treat treats like Dollywood where we just come and watch the show. Woo! Or we treat it like the Golden Corral. Look, give me some of that chocolate fountain. Ooh. And give me some of that, you know, sh- shrimp that's not local. I shouldn't be eating, right? Give me some of that. No, no, no. We come to give. And so we're going to ask in the fall when everything ju- jumps in that we attend a service together in worship. And then we worship through service in some place. That you have one place of ministry. One place of service. Just One. I don't want you in three. Three doesn't do any good to you and it doesn't do any good to the body. Because if you're in three places, you burn out and quit after six months. Just do one thing. Everyone serves in one capacity. Maybe not even every Sunday. But maybe you're, you're, maybe you're every Sunday's 815 greeter at that door. You go to the 945 service, you greet. Or you greet and then you go. 
Just one place that you're giving of yourself. So that everyone comes to give and everyone comes to receive. And if everybody does that, we're all ticket kisses, the body will move forward. So that's what's just going to have to happen. Okay, that's, that's what we're looking at. And, and in the coming weeks, the staff is, is busting their tails right now, getting all these organizational things to go to get you places so you can do it. And so that's what we're looking. So you're going to hear about it in the next couple of weeks because that's what a family does. Everyone has a job in the family. Even my five-year-old, the youngest, he's got a job. He's got dish day. Sunday's his dish day. He does the dish. He empties the dishwasher, right? He's got to clean up his underoos. He's got to pick up his Legos. He's got a task. Everyone's got a task in the family, right? And that's the calling of the body. And so that's where we're going. That's where we're at. That's kind of big picture, I know. If you've got questions about the budget, you can go talk to Sharon. She's here on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. She's the budget lady. She writes all the checks. I have nothing to do with it. All right, you want to know where the money's going? Go talk to her. She'll be glad to show you. All right, we got a budget up there. You can, anyone can see it anytime. Nothing fancy. It's like phone bill, power bill, staff, missions. That's about all there is. There's like four sections, all right? But you can go see where it's going, all right? Because we try to be good stewards and we want you to do it. You have other questions about things? Call the church, set up an appointment, love to talk with you. You can meet with a deacon, meet with an elder, whatever it is. We're not trying to hide anything. We're not, there's no secret plans. We're not you know, doing anything. It's very simple. We're, we're trying to equip people to follow Jesus and have an impact for the kingdom. All right. So that's informing. That's the first thing he wants them to do. He wants to know how it is. That's how we're at. What's the second thing? Verse 22. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. It's informing. Secondly, and that he may encourage your hearts. Second thing he wants to do is he wants to encourage them. I want to encourage y'all. Right? How important is encouragement? Think about that. Anyone need encouragement ever? In a culture where you turn on the news, you turn on the radio, everything kills you now. The air kills you, the water kills you, Chef Boyardee kills you, the, the, all your milk is bad for you, you can't eat bread anymore, peanut butter and jelly is going to kill you at 63 years old, the president's a moron, the police aren't doing their job, everybody's, right, everything is depressing. That's all you hear, how everything is just falling apart. That's all we hear. Isn't it nice once in a while to hear some encouragement? Goodness sakes. It's not by chance that the enemy, one of his most successful tactics throughout history, has always been discouragement. We saw it in Nehemiah, study the Gospels, study the book of Acts. Discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. And it's not by chance. He uses the Greek word parakaleo to encourage here. Do you know who is called the parakaleo, the paraclete, the, the comforter? Is the Holy Spirit. In a world of discouragement, God sends the encourager. The comforter. And he says, I got Tychicus, and he is my guy. Lucky is an encourager, and I want you to be encouraged, so I'm sending you. And here's the best thing about it. Here's what blew, the, blew my socks off. If I actually wore socks, this would have blown my socks off, right? It's this. Where's Paul right now? He's in prison. He's chained up to a guy. Whether it's house arrest or whether he's sitting in some room, he is enslaved. Why is he there? He tells us in verse 20. Go back to verse 20. He says, I'm an an ambassador in chains, which is an ironic statement because an ambassador is usually a position of honor. And if something happens to the ambassador, typically there's an act of war. But he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ, 
They killed him, so I'm getting treated similarly. But I am a representative of him. I am in chains. Why? Because I've been preaching the gospel. Because I've been opening my mouth boldly to, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So I've been faithful. I have been righteous in this. I am loving God with my whole heart. Where has it gotten me? It puts me in prison. And in the midst of my prison, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my struggle, I want to encourage you. Now, how backwards is that? How many of us, if we're suffering, whether we're righteously suffering or not, who are we thinking about? Well, why is this happening to me? This is not fair. I've been good and I've been accused and blah, blah, blah. And my spouse does this and I'm doing this. We're thinking about me. If I'll be honest, if that's me, I'm thinking, I need some encouragement, y'all. Send me a care package, some Twinkies, do something. I need some encouragement. What's Paul thinking of? Others. He's thinking of others. I want, I'm sending you my best guy. I'm sending you lucky. I want you to be built up. I want you to be encouraged. I mean, that blows my mind. And what, what kind of God highlighted to me this week as I'm thinking about this is this. If, if, if in the midst of suffering righteously and doing well and, and doing what he's called to do, Paul can encourage others what does that say for me in the midst of my struggles what does that say for me when things aren't going my way when i'm not in a good place with this with with whatever with i got issues with i got struggles what does that say for me what should i be thinking of others so how is that possible I mean, wouldn't you like to ask Paul? Wouldn't you like to sit Paul down put him up here with the stage with the mic and say all right Paul tell me how you can sing in jail and be happy tell me how you can encourage people while you are suffering what would he say? Because let's be honest. Like we talk about, oh, we got struggles. We got nursery and parking issues. Those aren't struggles. That's not a struggle. That's, that's nothing. Some of you, I realize, and I know it because I do counseling. I know it because I hear it. I know it because we get the prayer requests. Some of you have real struggles. I mean, real. Some of you right now, if you're really honest, you cannot stand your spouse. Some of you are like, is that you? All right. Some of you haven't talked to your kids in months, right, besides how's dinner. Some of you, we talk about Father's Day. That is a wound that you don't even want to talk about, whether it's because you lost your dad, whether it's because you had no dad or he was a bum. Some of you have physical illness and sickness. The doctor may know what it is. Maybe he doesn't. you got chronic pain. Some of you have depression. Some of you are lonely. Some of you want to be married. You're not. You want to have kids. You can't. All these things. Some of you go to work and there's nothing but conflict. There's conflict at home. There's conflict at work. We have all those struggles. Some of you are you're thinking, I want a job. I don't have a job. I just graduated college. I, I, I thought I'd have a job by now and I'm still working 20 hours a week at the Y. And I don't. I, I gotta pay these college loans off. You have no clue what's going to happen. And so you get all, we have real struggles. We got real struggles here. And you're like, how can I be an encourager in the midst of that? How, how can that be possible? Let me just read what the Apostle Paul, if he was here and I handed the mic to him, let me, let me read what he would say. But I want you to listen. I'm not going to unpack these verses. I'm just going to read a couple. I want you to listen in light of the struggles that are going on in your life. Because he, he knows what it is to be beaten. He knows what it is to be, to be rejected, to be hungry, to be cold, to feel alone. He knows all those things. And here is what he would say. Here is how we can encourage in the midst of suffering. You can write these down and think about them later, but just listen to what he says. For this light 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compassion, comparison. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Just in those two verses, notice he doesn't deny struggles. He doesn't deny loneliness or wrestling. He just says they are so insignificant in light of the glory that is coming. Why? Because he counts everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's worth it to know Christ. Like, I'm not sure why God is allowing that in your life right now. I'm not sovereign. I do not know. Maybe it's choices. Maybe it's just common suffering, whatever it is. But I do know this, that God is preparing us for a weight of glory that is beyond comparison. And let me just quote Piper because he says it best. That the glory that is coming is of such all-satisfying is so infinitely beautiful, it is so totally need-meeting, joy-producing time that 80 years of suffering will be as nothing. As nothing. And so maybe God is allowing that physical struggle and pain, or maybe your eyes are going, or that back, or whatever it is, so that you will put all your eggs in the hope of resurrection. And stop thinking about this, because that's our hope. It's resurrection. It's glorification. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's a new body. And maybe you're experiencing that loneliness right now. Maybe loneliness in your marriage, or maybe loneliness in your, in your house, or whatever it is. Because God wants to show you that He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that that is the only relationship that will ultimately bring satisfaction. And if you're trying to find your identity and getting married or in your spouse or being a parent, that that will eventually fall, but that relationship will bring satisfaction. Or maybe you're, you're struggling financially, whatever that looks like. And God is just trying to teach you to walk by faith and not by sight, to not store up all your treasure here, but to show you where true riches are and to show you ultimately how much your inheritance really is in Him. Chapter 3. Or maybe there's that weakness and sin that you continually face and that struggle. And he's just trying, like the Apostle Paul, to show you that his grace is sufficient. And that when you are weak, that is when you are strong. I don't know. But I know this. This light momentary affliction is preparing the church. He is shaping the church for a weight of glory that is beyond comparison. Just one more passage. He says this. This is his last will and testament. This is his this letter before he is killed. He says, remember Timothy. Timothy, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus, with what? Eternal glory. The irony is this, is Paul is in chains and the enemy thinks they can chain up Paul in Rome and keep the gospel from spreading. But what happens? He's got a guy chained to him 24-7. Guess what he has? A captive audience and starts sharing the gospel with every single one of these guys. And guess what happens? These guys end up getting saved. So at the end of Philippians, which is sent at the same time as this letter, he says, Oh, by the way, all these guys that are Christians in Caesar's household now, they say hi. Where did they get saved? Because they were chained up to Paul. 
So he's got a church in Caesar's house now because of why? He's in chains. And think about this. If Paul doesn't go to jail, we lose five books of the Bible. Right? He doesn't write Ephesians. So we don't get the great doctrine of predestination and adoption from chapter 1. We don't get the kenosis of Philippians chapter 2, the emptying of God taking the form of a bondservant. We don't get Colossians 1, that he is the firstborn of all creation. We don't get for 2 Timothy, where he talks about preaching the word in season and out of season, rebuke. We don't get this great pastoral epistle. We don't get this little precious letter to Philemon, which tells us about how we should respond when we have slave and free man and forgiveness. And we don't get the apostle John on the island of Patmos, who's been isolated there and thrown there because they tried to boil him in water, but they couldn't kill him. So they just put him on an island. And so he writes the book of Revelation. Why? Because he's imprisoned. So when you step back and you see it from God's perspective, you can say, you may chain up the gospel, but the word of God is not bound. And so Paul says, so be encouraged. Be encouraged. You may not see it now. The struggles that you're going through and that wrestling, you may not see it now. And you know why you don't see it now? Because we all look in a mirror darkly. But one day, face to face. And you will see that it is worth it. So be encouraged. Because if you are in Christ, and I've said it before and we'll keep saying it, this is as bad as it gets. This is, if you are in Christ, this, this world is as bad as it gets. But if you are not in Christ, this is as good as it gets. And so that is an eternal difference. Right? So he says, be encouraged. Christ is risen from the dead. And if he has met your greatest need, the forgiveness of your sins, what else do you need? Be informed. Be encouraged. And then he gives... What many would call benediction, verse 23 and 24. Word benediction is not a, it's actually a, comes from the Latin bene, meaning well. Desire, meaning to speak, to speak well, right? To, to say well of something, to well wish. And really, as he closes, he, it's his, in essence, what he's doing is he's praying. This is what I want to be true of you Ephesians. This is what I want to be true of your church. This is my benediction. This is my well speaking. This is ultimately what he's praying for this church. And so I would say this. He's going to pray three things for them. And I would say this. These three things we need to pray for us. That they would be true of them. That they would be true of CBC. After five months in this little letter. That, that these three things will be more of a reality than they were five months ago. So three things. What's the first one? He says, peace be to who? To the brothers. First thing he's praying and well-wishing is peace. Not peace, yeah, peace, love, happiness, you know, hippies, John Lennon, 60s. The absence of conflict, harmony within what? With the brothers. Why is he saying that? Remember, Jew and Gentile struggling, chapter 3, wrestling with this whole difference. He says, no, peace. And all three of these things he's going to pray, they're all linked to our identity in Christ. Why should we have peace? Because chapter 3, he himself is our Peace. He came and preached peace to those who were near, the Jews, and those who were far, the Gentiles. And because God has reconciled man and himself through Christ, there is peace. Now there should be peace here. Anybody need some peace in their relationships? Anybody show up at work and you could just use some peace? Think we need some peace in politics in this country? Any peace needed in some of our marriages? 
the foundation is, is Christ. And one of the most depressing and demoralizing things, whether it's in, in church or not, is, is self, is, is churches or people that attack themselves. It's friendly fire. Friendly fire. When two people on the same team turn their guns against each other. And we see it all the time. He says, no, I want peace among who? The brothers. Because we have peace with God. A conflict is inevitable when you put two sinners in the same place. But those who are in Christ pursue peace. Don't gossip about one another. Don't, don't become embittered against each other. Don't despise, attack one another. Don't criticize another church because they do something differently. There's enough of that going on. Like Satan and the demons got all that covered. The slander role, the accusing of the brethren, the enemy has fulfilled that role. We don't need to join his team. Right? Pray for peace. It's, it's the saddest thing. I know a lot of churches and I know a lot of pastors and I see it all the time. The church staffs cannot get along. Too much ego, too much pride. Praise God, he has guarded us. Pray for our staff. There will be peace. And there is. Amongst the elders who love each other, there's peace. Pray for peace in our marriages with our kids. What, what needs to take place, church, this morning so that you will have peace in your marriage? Do you have to lay down your rights a little bit? Do you have to release and forgive? Do you have to stop insisting that you get your way for there to be peace, maybe? What needs to take place so that there is peace? As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, Paul says. Do you have to ask forgiveness? Be lovers of peace. May that be true of them. May it be true of us. Don't let us be the source of conflict. Let us be the, the, the source of peace. Not the source, but those who follow peace because Christ is the source. Second thing, peace be the brothers and love with faith. And where does that love with faith come from? It comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's linked to our identity. You don't have faith on your own. You certainly don't have love on your own. Why do you love? Because he first loved us. And so he says it comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And this is the very thing in chapter 1, verse 15. He said... I am thankful of your love and your faith. And so what he's saying is, I want it to continue. I want you to keep being a place of love. I want you to continue to be a place of love because of what God has done. And this is the prayer for us, that we would press on and persevere in love. The day we stop loving each other, the world, the lost people, is the day we need to shut those doors and sell the building or give it away. Because if we are a church without love, we are nothing. And if you think I'm, I'm, I'm making that up, wait till we next week look at Ephesians chapter 7. You think, I thought this was the end of the book. No, there's another chapter. You'll have to come back next week and find it. It's not in this book. You've got to flip a few pages to the right. But the next chapter to Ephesians comes up. And guess what? They lost their love. And what does Jesus say to that church? I don't care who your pastor was. Timothy was the pastor. Paul was the pastor. They had a great line of pastors. I'm closing y'all down, shutting you down without love. And so John tells us not just to love in, in word, but to love in deed and truth. And so we need to get beyond, what does that mean? That means, you know, we don't need to talk about how we're not going to have racism, we're not going to have cliques and not have classism. We need to get beyond saying that, and we need some of you who are in those little cliques to get outside of those and to pursue other people. Right? We need to stop talking about how we need to love our spouse and love through their crankiness and forgive them for this. We need to actually do it. 
to forgive, to release, to put ego aside, to love the person that's completely different, that might smell bad, that might look different, that might be a little bit scary to you, that's on the other side of the aisle, but that you pursue them. To that other church that may say bad things about us, and some of them do, who cares? Let God deal with them. We love them anyway. Why? Because He first loved us. That's what He calls us to do. Right? To love. To be a place of peace. And finally, He says grace. Grace be, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What's he want? He wants us to be a place of grace. He wants us to have grace. Do we need grace? See, we see for our marriages, for our lives, do we need grace? And who is grace for? Grace is for those who recognize their need for it. We have a, we have a group of people that in, this, in this culture and even in the church that, that feel spiritually entitled because they know this or they did this. And they're better than this person because they never wanted to blah, blah, blah. Grace is for those who recognize their need. I think that's why there's a condition. Grace be to all who what? Who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Whose love is for Christ. And ultimately on this side of heaven, it's it's not going to be absolutely pure. But there can be a love for Christ because of what he has done for us. And when you get that you are depraved and that all of life is grace. And that you don't even deserve to be alive right now. That you are an object of wrath. And the reason you're breathing is grace. And the reason that you have, have the ability to understand the gospel is grace. And when you understand that, it motivates you to love Christ more. But to also be gracious. Not just to the easy people. It's easy to be gracious to the people who are nice to you. It's gracious to the person who is not. It's the guy who cuts you off on end, And then he wants you to let him in. Right? That's letting him in is grace. It's undeserved. It's that spouse who does the same thing again. It's that kid who does the same thing again. And you forgive them. Why? Because it's grace. They don't deserve it. Neither did you. That's the whole idea. It's grace. You deserve nothing. He says, because you've been given everything, now you show grace. Unmerited favor. And it's people, the people who are bitter and envious of other people, they don't live in the grace God's given them. They don't understand that everything they have is grace, and so they're not gracious. And so he says, no, I want you to be people of grace. I want you to fathom it. I want you to give it. I want you to love it. I want you to live in light of it. I want you to walk in a manner worthy. That's what we're praying for our church. Because let me just tell you, you, it doesn't matter what you're doing today. Do you know how long it takes for church to go from live and living and vibrant to dead? Just like that. Just like that. A little pride, a little arrogance, a little lack of love. Boom. It's happening all over. Right? It doesn't take long. That's why the writer to Hebrews, I think, says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, not behind us. We, so many people live in the past. Oh, yeah, remember what we did 20 years ago? It's like the guy that's bragging about how he was the quarterback for the JV eight-man football team. No one cares. Right? No one cares what you did in 1969. You were the JV guy. Great. What is going on now? Perseverance to the end. That's what we're talking about. Running with endurance. And we can be alive today and dead tomorrow if we start reading our own press clippings. We start believing that we have done something. No. It is all what God has done. Is grace. Let us walk in a manner worthy of our identity. Who we are in Christ. May we be peace, love, and grace. May we be encouraged. May we be like Tychicus, faithful servants. Beloved brothers, God has to do it, but we just, that's, that's our desire. What we're going to do now, we're going to celebrate grace. We're going to remember Christ through his table. 
And the men are going to come and they're going to hand out the elements. And they're going to give you some time to think about them. And when you feel ready, we're just saying, I'm not going to come back up and take it. But here's what we want you to do. Number one, spend some time in confession of sin. Searching your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, that you know for certain that you are in Christ, that you have trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, Him and Him alone, we invite you to celebrate. If not, we invite you to not to, to withstand because this is a, a celebration of what Christ has done for the believer. And if you're not in Christ, it's, it's a meaningless, meaningless exercise. This is for those who are in Christ. But if you are in Christ, that you would spend some time thinking about your sin, thinking about how you were alienated, and then just look at that bread. That unleavened bread with holes in it, with stripes on it, and and picture the body of Christ. Because that's what it represents. That was broken and crushed and beaten and pierced for your sins. And as you hold the cup and you look at the redness, remember the blood of Christ that was spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins, that, that offers you eternal life. The blood of the new covenant. And take of those in a worthy manner, in humility and gentleness and worship. And after you've taken, you can stand and sing. Let me pray. Father, be glorified as we celebrate your son's body and his blood broken for us. May we just be a church that walks in worthy of our calling, not in arrogance and humility. Father, may we pursue peace and may we be a place of love. For Christ's name's sake, I pray.